happy day. <laughs> we keep prodding. We've been doing that for years, and he hadn't responded yet, but we hope he will. Steve Ferber, would you stand? Now, I wonder, uh, can you give any advice to the Grinnell family as to how they should celebrate Elias Nathaniel's birthday? Now, he's qualified because today's his birthday, and, and, uh, <laughs> and we can imagine what it would be like to have your birthday on Christmas or a day or two after. Uh, now, Ed could almost do that for us, couldn't he? Ed was just a few days ago. Yeah, okay, Bob McWilliams. But you're, you're here today, and, and we just feel that you're the man that has the word. All right, so your advice to Elias Nathaniel is forget your birthday. Is that... Uh, <laughs> All right, thank you, Steve. <laughs> now, I've had several comments on my tie. This came from uh, Maddie, my great-granddaughter, so I'm obligated to wear it today. And some have said, it is a curse, let it snow. The children think it's a blessing. Music lovers will also appreciate it. <laughs> Isn't that special? <laughs> uh, now we know everyone really has been blessed, but even though for some this is a melancholy time, our family had our usual wonderful gathering, had uh, I believe 29. Uh, we had a few that couldn't make it because of weather, but isn't it wonderful just to be together? Even this morning, there's a special warmth that's here today. Thank God. This morning I want to read the same text that I read at the beginning of the sermon three weeks ago, Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in this city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem them and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. You know, we have all of the candles 
ignited on the Advent candle stand, and uh, we've put away the carols, but I'm not quite ready. Let's stand and sing one more carol. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's just lift our voices to God. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plain, and the mountain in reply, echoing their joyous strain. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Amen. What a blessing. I thank God for the carols. <laughs> well, you know, during this Christmas season, I found myself pondering over and over again the story of the shepherds. You know, as we empathetically try to enter into their world and live with them through that experience, we can only imagine the great excitement that must have filled their hearts as they heard that message from the angels as they left their flocks and hurried to Bethlehem to see this thing that had been told them, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And you can just imagine how their, well really how their imaginations were working overtime. What are we going to see when we get to the manger? And when they got there, what did they see? Well, no obvious miracles presented themselves to the shepherds. Really all they saw was a humble man, a young woman who had just given birth, and a baby who was laid in an animal trough. There was no halo around any of them, as we often see in our religious pictures, but just humble people. There was really nothing special about the fact they were staying in stables because it was common custom when there was no place to stay, to stay in the barn. Some of us know people who have traversed across Europe with guitars, sleeping in barns at night as they uh, go from village to village. So that was not unusual to them. And of course they knew nothing about the virgin birth. All they saw was a common family, very common people, in the stable, and yet, yet the angels had spoken to them, and they had been surrounded by the glory of the Lord. By the way, here's an aside, you know, we usually think of the angels singing, the Greek does not say that, had they been singing, the Greek word would have been solo, the Greek word is lego, which says they said these things, and so they were proclaiming, but there's no evidence in Scripture that they were singing. But even though they found nothing unusual in the stable, they remembered the experience with the angels, and you can just imagine how that event must have stayed with them the rest of their lives. I've sat and thought about, now what, what was it like in the coming years? I wonder if any of them, 30 years later, when they would have been at least middle-aged and perhaps some a little bit older, I wonder if any of them ever encountered the miracle-working Jesus Christ. I wonder if any of them may have been present on the day of Pentecost 
and heard the gospel preached and saw the miraculous speaking in tongues and came to Jesus. Or what about this? As they grew older, I wonder if any of their children or grandchildren heard Jesus and realized this is the one of whom their older relative had told them that years ago. They had had the encounter in the field with the angels and actually seen the baby in a feeding trough. And now here he is. Here he is, the empowered one going about working miracles and bringing words far different from anything that the rabbis had to say. Well, we don't know. (laughs) We can only speculate. This morning I want to spend a little bit of time studying the shepherds as we enter into their world, look at their example, and certainly there is an example that they have to say to us. First thing that I note as I look at their example is this. The shepherds responded, and we're not talking about this crowd down here, although they do that too. The the shepherds responded responded by acting upon the word that the angels had given them. Notice it said they let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing, and they hurried, uh, and they arrived, and they saw in the manger what they had been told that would be there. They responded. I thought about this. What an example that is to respond immediately, and quickly and hurriedly. There are some of us this morning who haven't been very good at that. We haven't always responded to the message. And I don't know why. You know, you think about the case of Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man, as he saw his situation, Lazarus' situation, remember he said, have Lazarus come and dip his finger in water and just put something on my tongue to lessen my torment. And Abraham said, there's a gulf between us we can't separate. And the rich man said, then have Lazarus go back to my fathers and brothers and tell them about this. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. (laughs) Oh, but... If you just send someone from the dead, if they would not listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not listen even if someone came to them from the dead. Isn't it interesting how some of us are just so obstinate? We have the Word of God clearly, and there's evidence all about us, and yet we do not respond. Are you just absolutely obstinate? if you have not responded. I know some people say, well, you know, it's just so confusing to me. This doesn't make sense, all of this gospel stuff. You know, the message didn't make sense to the shepherds either, did it? Go to Bethlehem, and there you'll find a man and a woman and a baby in a trough, and this is the, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Christ. It made no sense. And yet, they responded. There's some people that say, well, I don't respond just because I, I just can't quite believe it. It can't be true. Now, if you're in that situation today, let me tell you, you are in a room that is largely occupied by people 
who could tell you it is true, and it is true because of their own lives. There are people in this room that can tell you about times in their lives in which they were totally owned by their obsessions, they were totally owned by their addictions, they were totally owned by destructive behavior, and they came to Jesus and gave their lives to Him. They were immersed into Christ. The old man died. They experienced newness of life. And today, no longer are they controlled by their addictions. No longer are they controlled by these obsessions. But now they are controlled by the Holy Spirit that dwells within. They still deal with these things, but they know victory through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they can say, it is true. It is true because this is what I was and this is what I am, and the difference happened here when I said yes and believed and accepted. The shepherd set an example of response. The people who work for IMSA and the firemen, we call them first responders. But we also need constant responders. Most of us in this room years ago at one point, we're first responders. We responded for the first time. But as the years went by and we began to walk with Jesus, sometimes we get kind of dull and we quit responding. We need to be constant responders wherever we are in our walk with the Lord. First of all, we need to respond to Scripture. You remember what Abraham said to the rich man? They have Moses and the prophets. They have Scripture. They could respond to that. But they don't. And you and I have that today as well. Remember James as he was writing, he said, You know a man who looks into the perfect law and walks away, and I'm paraphrasing, and doesn't change his behavior. It's like a man who looked in a mirror and saw his face, and when he walked away, he forgot what he had seen. We need to respond to what we see in the Word of God but also what we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we walk with the Lord, Paul wrote to the Romans, if we're not led of the Spirit, we're none of His. And we need to be led of the Spirit. Now there are some people who take this to crazy lengths. There are people that we know, and some of you know people like this, who say, well, if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead me to do this, I won't do it. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead me to do that. And it gets to be strange and very, very mystical. As if we just can't do anything unless the Spirit leads us. I don't need the leading of the Holy Spirit to respond to the alarm in the morning, get out of bed, and go to work. I don't need to seek the Holy Spirit when I get in the car and start wondering, how will I start it? I know I put the key in and I turn it. And yet there are some people today who have taken this matter of leading the Spirit and take it to such an absurd place that they can't even function in life. That isn't what the Word of God's talking about. In Romans 8, it's talking about the difference between letting by being led by the lusts and the desires of the flesh on the one hand, and the leading of the Holy Spirit on the other. What about, though, all these matters of doubts? I read in the uh, Tulsa Urban Weekly, Uh, This past week, an interesting article, maybe some of you saw it. Probably most of you don't read this thing. You're smart if you don't. picture on the front tells you why. Here's an interesting article. It's been more than two weeks since a provocative billboard paid for by an organization 
devoted to defending and promoting reason, went up near Interstate 44, west of the Arkansas River, and the coordinator of the local group admits he's a bit surprised how little attention it's drawn. The billboard features a slogan, Are You Good Without God? Millions Are. Bill Dusenberry, coordinator of the Tulsa Coalition of Reason, the local affiliate of the National United Coalition of Reason, which paid for the billboard, said the sign is an attempt to let passing motorists know that humanists, atheists, and agnostics, a group Dusenberry categorizes as non-atheists, embrace goodness for its own sake, not out of a sense of religious obligation. Now, you know, I read that and I thought, I wonder how that works. So this week I've tried to do that. <laughs> I've tried to, in my mind to say there is no God. There's absolutely nothing to all this stuff. And I'm going to conduct my life totally without a sense of God. And I'm going to try to do good and right. You know what? I couldn't do it. <laughs> Not that I couldn't do good and right. <laughs> But it was just impossible to cast aside that sense there's a God. His presence is so real to me. And it can be that real to anyone who will respond to the Lord. And so the first thing that the shepherds set before us as an example is they were responders. They responded to the message. We need to respond to the word, the Holy Spirit. The second thing that catches our attention is the shepherds went back to work. Luke 2.20, the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They went back. Now notice, they didn't camp out at the stable. They didn't follow Joseph and Mary around to see what was going to happen next. And if you put it in modern terms, they didn't form a 501c3 organization and begin a shepherd in the, or angel in the field revival. They didn't put an ad in the Bethlehem Bugle and say we're going to have an uh, angel in the field conference at the uh, remodeled Bethlehem Marriott. And by the way, visas are accepted at the door after they had seen the baby. They went back to work. <laughs> Paul dealt with a situation in Thessalonica that in many ways speaks to some people that I think today are inappropriately super spiritual. Remember the situation? Paul had come and preached and the people had accepted the gospel in a, in a really a wonderful way and he wrote them two letters. Really he had to write two letters because some people were so thrilled with the message of Christ and so thrilled with the fact that Jesus was coming back again that they quit their jobs. How wonderful! Jesus is coming and we're going to live in this wonderful spiritual community. And so they sat down on the curb, come Lord Jesus. Paul exhorted them. Notice what he wrote, 1 Thessalonians 2.9. You recall, brethren... Our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be burdened to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God. We urge you, brethren, First Thessalonians 4.10, excel more. Make it your ambition, lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, work with your hands, just as we commanded you, 
so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in need. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We didn't act in an undisciplined manner, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model. Now, several other passages of Scripture say similar things. He goes on, you should follow our example. We're with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, he's not to eat either. We hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. As we say, sentiments like this are found in other scriptures. There's something wrong today when we see great hosts of people so caught up in an unusual spirituality that they are not willing to work. They're caught up in the glorious things of God. The shepherds set an example. They saw the baby, and after that was over, they went back to work. Now, there are some individuals to whom the church will say, quit your job. We need your full time, or all the time we can get out of you at least, in serving the local church. So quit your job, and we will supply an income so you can serve the body with the same hours that you would normally spend working at a job. If the church has not said that, then get a job. I I really am troubled at times as I see this whole thing of I graduate from the seminary and now go hunt for a job. That's not the view we see in Scripture. But that is the view that we see presented by Paul. Certainly, we need to have those who have the time to study the word, to lead us, to teach us, to minister among us, which they could not do if they were out involved in money-making ventures. 1 Timothy 5.17, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the labor is worthy of his wages. And here is this matter of anybody who decides that he is going to work in the kingdom because he is paid, such a person is disqualified to be a minister in the kingdom of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.17, we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. It is the Lord's will that we have jobs. It is the Lord's will that we bear responsibility. And through our labor, we pay our own way in the world. Unless the church says, we need you. Give up your job. Come, pick up the plow here and do this and we will supply an income so that you then can serve the king 
The shepherds set an example. They went back to work. The third thing that we would notice is after going back to work, (laughs) on the way back, they didn't forget the angels. The shepherds went back glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Now think about that. In the years and the months that followed, the message that had been given, there's born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and just think of what they would have been expecting. But nothing happened. In a few months, perhaps a year or so, all the boys, two years of age and younger, were killed in Bethlehem. And you can imagine the shepherds thinking, but the angels said, the years went by, no mighty king with a great army rose up to drive out the Romans, which is what they expected. But the angels said, and those were tumultuous days, days in which terrorists bearing daggers were killing all the agents of the Romans. They did not see any peace on earth, nor goodwill toward men. But the angels had said, you know, that that kept coming, their employers, the priests who were the employers of these particular shepherds, they used the temple for gain. For example, they said, you cannot make an offering in the temple unless you offer a shekel. Shekels were not the common coinage of the area, The Greek denarius, the Roman coins were. And so in order to have a shekel to make an offering in the temple, you had to go to one of the money changers in the temple who worked for the priests, and it cost you a lot to trade a denarius for a shekel. But that's the way the priests made their money. They said you have to offer a lamb, but you can't offer a lamb unless it's without spot and blemish. And we won't consider any without spot and blemish unless they're bought from one of our flocks. The flocks of these shepherds were keeping in Bethlehem. And so again, the priests had turned the worship of Jehovah into a means of profit. And the shepherds saw this. But the angels had said, (laughs) and the political intrigue, the, the high priesthood itself became so political. The Romans now appointing the high priests and All of that that went on. And where was the pure worship of the Lord? And since the shepherds had no power, they had to live in whatever circumstances the people of power decided. How many of us feel that way today? Do you know we can be certain of this? They never... They could not ever have forgotten that night in the field when they met the angels and met the glory of God. And so whatever happened, whatever the circumstances were, they could recall what happened that night when they were keeping watch over their flocks by night. They remembered the angels. It was real. It was solid. It was unforgettable. I know most of your stories, but not all of your stories. 
And many of you can point back to such a thing in your life. There's some of you, when you first met Jesus Christ, you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that you were excited, you were loud, and there's one person here whose name I will not mention. I was told was behaved somewhat insanely for a day or two. Some of you know who that is. Others are moved to deep quietness as they reflect upon the depth of what has become real in their lives. But that was a real moment. And whatever happens in life, you can go back and think of that moment. Yes, it's real. I remember what happened. A few weeks ago, we had the funeral of Randall Clutter, Bruce's brother. Now, Randall was a real hippie's hippie. Wandered all over the country, got involved in everything you can imagine. Quite a story was read of his life at that funeral. One day, he was sitting on a tractor. I think it was in Oregon or Washington, somewhere like that. And he'd encounter some Jesus people and was pondering all of these kinds of things. And he began to pray, if you're a God, if you're there. And he began to pray about the message that he had heard these people present to him. And then in a surprising act, he declared Jesus Lord and gave his life to him and was instantly transformed. Now, the rest of his life was a constant roller coaster. This man went through all kinds of things in life. But the one thing that kept him steady through every experience was what happened one afternoon sitting on that tractor. It was real. And whatever happened, he could go back to that moment. We have those moments, don't we? Whenever we're in times of trouble and turmoil and doubt, we need to go back and think about here was a time of reality I see God. God did something. God changed something. Here's a prayer I prayed and the results were just inexplicable. Even though it doesn't always happen that way. But to go back to those times when there was that solid, that thing that is real, and that will carry us through even though at times we may not even sense the presence of God, although we usually do. So in times of confusion... In times of difficulty, in times when things seem dark and they seem hopeless, we can remember that moment in our lifetime when it was real. And it is just as real today, even though it may not seem so. I want to urge all of us today to follow the example of the shepherds. Let's be constant responders. Let's be diligent and busy about the jobs that our circumstance in life gives us. And let's not forget those signposts along the way that God has given that present reality. Father God, we thank you that you do not leave us alone and your presence is real, but we also thank you for those startling moments, O oh God. 
those things that defy reason, defy explanation, and yet they are real. We pray, Lord, that we might model to the world the character of Jesus Christ as we respond to you, as we're diligent in this life, and as we do not forget you. Through Jesus, amen.